Good evening, Philadelphia and the world. Josh Scarpello alongside with Pierre Latour here on, on Justice for All, the podcast. Good evening, Pierre. Oh, good evening. And, and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. What else? Did I miss one? Did I get them all? I think you got many of the big ones, but we apologize okay. to anyone that we let out. <laughs> it's not only the holiday season, and since it is the holiday season, it's also in the criminal defense world, oftentimes the DUI season, the drunk driving driving season, which is um, not as fun or as enjoyable to look forward to, but um, sometimes part goes part and parcel with all the uh, parties and celebrations that go on along this time of year. So Pierre and I thought that we would present a, um, a little, uh, I guess, primer for not just uh, attorneys out there, but for the average person, because one of the biggest calls we get, I think you would agree, Pierre, is is DUI calls. We get them from all different ages and walks of life and backgrounds. It's truly one of those crimes that's that's considered a crime in Pennsylvania, but not registered as a crime in other states, but that could truly affect anybody out there, regardless of what kind of background that you have. Would you agree on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, like you said, it's also it's it's something that we've seen, you know, over the course of our career go from, you know, I don't say I don't think it was ever treated lightly since we've been attorneys. I know back in the back in the old days when it was called intoxicated chauffeur. Remember that? Yes, I do. Um, It was literally a slap on the wrist. And now it's come to the point where you're talking about in a lot of cases mandatory jail time, mandatory license suspension, uh, and they've actually increased the penalties recently. But uh, And I think you even had, you had looked up some stats recently just to show, you know, the number, the sheer number of DUIs that are occurring in the state. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, um, the Philadelphia DA's office, so just in the city of Philadelphia, they report um, arrests that are made um, for all different types of crimes. And year to date so far, in Philadelphia, there have been over 1,200, in fact, 1,211 arrests for DUI just within the city of Philadelphia. Um, certainly one of the, you know, the, the larger types of crimes that are arrested for and one that's very common in this city. In Over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend that we just uh, had, uh, the five-day weekend, the Pennsylvania State Police also keep uh, statistics on their arrests that are made over certain times. And would you know, did you know, over that time period, so Thanksgiving, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I think they may, it's a five-day period, over 539 arrests by the Pennsylvania State Police for DUIs across the state just in that five-day period for people traveling back and forth. Um, so, of course, this is something that not only could happen to you, but could affect you and a loved one in, in, in some way, shape or form when you're out there. So we wanted to start today, you know, because it's such an important topic with reviewing some of the penalties and some of the bad things that can happen to somebody, even with no prior record meaning never been convicted of anything before. Oftentimes, these people have never been arrested before. DUI, drunk driving in Pennsylvania, the statute provides mandatory penalties 
and it's one of the very few statutes left in Pennsylvania with mandatory penalties that are still being enforced. Um, so even for a first-timer, if you've never been in trouble before, depending on the penalties and what and what tier of penalty that you fall into, you could be looking at, well, first of all, a conviction on your record, a misdemeanor conviction for uh, being found guilty of DUI in Pennsylvania. And that's punishable anywhere up from probation up to uh, three days in jail for a first-time offense. Um, and it's worth reviewing, I think, some of the penalties and, and those penalties uh, within the DUI statute because they change a lot. And as Pierre has already pointed out, uh, they're constantly tinkering with this statute. And, and when they tinker, they usually add more um, onerous penalties to people. But for a first-time offender, Pierre, say you're pulled over coming back from the holiday party, what are, you know, what are typically, could somebody expect if they are arrested, convicted of a DUI in terms of fines, penalties, license suspension? What what could they expect in this scenario like that? Well, Pennsylvania breaks it down basically um, based upon what your BAC, which is your blood alcohol content. Um, and so what that means is what the law says is that if your blood alcohol content, number one, is above a 0.08, you are presumed to be under the influence and will be arrested. That doesn't mean, by the way, that if you're below a 0.08, like a 0.07 or a 0.06, you can't be arrested in charges. It just means the presumption is there. Right. So the statute basically breaks it into three categories as they put it like lowest level of alcohol middle level of alcohol and highest level of alcohol and or drugs and or a refusal and we'll explain that in a minute but so the lowest level would be if if you if you got stopped and your blood alcohol level was between a 0.08 and a 0.10 which is just above the legal limit to just a little bit more that's the lowest level that's where you're facing the lowest possible penalties. If you're a first-time offender, in fact, and you're at that level, you won't even get a license suspension, um, nor will you face any jail time. That's correct. Uh, it's, then, an ungraded, it's an ungraded misdemeanor, which means it's still a conviction that would go on your record. Um, but the penalties are up to six months probation, a $300 fine. Uh, and for all DUI um, arrestees and cases that you know resolve in a either a conviction or even ARD, and we're going to discuss ARD later in the segment in the show, you can, you're required to complete an alcohol highway safety school, which means go to a class sponsored by PennDOT, um, usually on the weekend, which will, will teach you and remind you about the rules of the road and how to drive safely. And then also undergo each and every person who is convicted or accepted into ARD has to undergo a drug and alcohol evaluation. And that's done usually by the local probation department or by an agency contracted with the local probation office. And they will make recommendations based upon the interview that they have with that person to the judge, uh, depending on what is reported, uh, about whether that person may benefit or even require uh, drug and alcohol counseling as a condition of their six-month probation. So even for a first-timer out of the chute, no prior record, and this is assuming that you don't get into ARD, which stands for the Accelerated Rehabilitative Disposition Program, 
It's, you know, your, your get out of jail first time offender case. We'll talk about getting into that and what your choices are. Well, let's say even in the worst case scenario, you go to trial, you lose. If your blood alcohol is between 0.08 and 0.099, just under the legal limit, you're still facing a misdemeanor charge that will be on your record for the rest of your life, probation for up to six months, and a $300 fine. Now, the second tier, what's referred to in the statute as the high blood alcohol content, right at the legal limit of 0.10 up to 0.159. And I'd love to know you know, what doctors and, and what people they consulted, Pierre, to kind of make these <laughs> yeah. arbitrary, you know. The, the, answer, uh, the answer is none. None is right. You know, this second tier, if, you're, if your blood alcohol and, and it, it is tested uh, after the fact, um, and it's required to prove you in a DUI case, the government has to prove two things, drunk and driving. So the driving part can sometimes be the easier part, but then the dr- the to prove the uh the drunk part of it, the intoxicated part of it, the government has to produce some evidence, usually blood evidence, or in some cases, a breathalyzer test, which is a machine that you've maybe seen on television that can test the um, alcohol from uh, you blowing into the, you know, a tube, and it can give a reading on how much blood alcohol is in your system. These have been methods that have been accepted by Pennsylvania courts as accurate enough to determine what your blood alcohol level is. So if you're in that middle tier, slightly more than the legal limit, up to 0.159, you're still facing a misdemeanor upon conviction. This now a 12-month license suspension. You go from really a big jump from uh, no license suspension at all with that first-time lowest tier penalty to this. If, if you're even just a little bit more drunk, you'll lose your license upon conviction for up to a year. And it's even possible that it could be worse than that if your blood alcohol is in the highest tier of penalties, which is what they consider anything over 0.16 blood alcohol content. And I can tell you this from experience, and I think Pierre can probably back me up on this. Very few of our clients, right or wrong, are in the in the lowest tier in fact i would say the majority of people that that find themselves in you know in this scenario are in this you know they have a blood alcohol above 0.16 i think there's even i thought there's a stat out there that said 70 percent of all duis in pennsylvania fall into that highest tier the the 0.16 and above right and for again for a first timer where you your blood alcohol at the time of driving is 0.16 or higher you're facing an ungraded misdemeanor, again, a 12-month license suspension, and up to three days in jail, 72 hours, mandatory upon conviction, a $1,000 fine, and again, those same conditions of taking an alcohol highway safety course and also submitting to a drug and alcohol evaluation. So I, really- I don't know if you... I- I don't know if you went over the one for the, the middle tier exactly, but just, just to be clear, that for that middle tier, it's 48 hours or what the we, lawyers will call it the weekend, right? So you, right. it's a weekend in prison, a $500 fine, and that license suspension. You go to that next tier, which we just talked about, above a .16, right, which is very common and actually the most common. Then you're looking at a 72-hour jail sentence, a $1,000 fine. And what did you say the license suspension was at? Is that 18 months, months at that point? 12 months license oh, suspension still 12. Okay. if you're in the middle tier or the higher tier. 
So really, and that's one of when we talk to our clients, that is the penalty that stings and hurts probably the most. Mm -hmm. To not be able to drop off your kids, to go to work, to do all the things that you take for granted every day, go to the market and pick up food and uh, make, you know, run around and do your errands in your car. Uh, it can really be hard on people. And Pennsylvania has one, some of the toughest, you know, DUI penalties around. And I think some of the license suspensions are, are definitely some of the toughest. So if you're in a scenario like this, first of all, our advice would be, and I know Pierre would agree with me, don't, don't drink and drive. There's, there's no reason to in today's day and age um, with all the ride shares and cabs and friends and everything out there. Absolutely plan ahead and do not put yourself in a position like this because the penalties really, really can set you back, not only financially, but in just getting around on a daily basis. And at the end of the day, if you go and do a record check, if you're convicted of a DUI in Pennsylvania, you have a conviction. You have a final misdemeanor conviction that is with you for the rest of your life. And so I want to add one thing too. Yeah. On on the highest rate too, it's not just alcohol. This is another this is another big issue. So that highest tier uh in Pennsylvania is if your blood alcohol is above a point one six and or if you have any measurable controlled substance in your blood, right? So if you smoke marijuana, the, mm -hmm. you wake up in the morning and you smoke some weed, right? Even if you have a, even if you have a medical card for it, it's prescribed by a doctor, mm -hmm. you get in a car, you get pulled over. If they draw your blood and they find any measurable amount of THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, in your blood, it is treated the exact same as if you ha are the highest level of blood alcohol. Right. If and people know and pe most people know this, but not everybody does. Marijuana uh, metabolizes very slowly in your body, which means you could go to a party on a Saturday night. Right. Not drive at all. Smoke marijuana at the party. Right. Take an Uber home two, three days a week. Two weeks later, you can get in your car, get pulled over, have your blood drawn. And trust me. A measurable amount of THC is going to come back in that blood draw and you will be charged with DUI and they will treat you as if you were at the highest level that it's now people think it sounds crazy. I would agree with them. People would say that's unfair. I would agree with them. But I'm telling you, that is the law as it currently stands in Pennsylvania until it changes, which is any measurable amount. And I'm talking about there is case law out there that says nine nanograms per milliliter of blood, which is nothing, absolutely nothing. If a detectable amount shows up, you will get charged with a DUI. And also, finally, if you refuse, and this is a whole other separate podcast we could do. But again, if you are pulled over and the police ask you or tell you, hey, we're going to we're going to give you a breathalyzer or hey, we'd like you to take you to the hospital and we'd like to draw your blood to see if you're under the influence of some type of drug. Listen, you have every right to refuse and they actually have to warn you. It's called the O'Connell warnings. They have to warn you of the consequences of your refusal. And those consequences lead to whole other penalties we haven't talked about. But right. my point is, if you refuse as well to either give blood or breath to be tested, again, you are placed for purposes of the law in the highest tier 
as if you have drugs in your system or if your blood alcohol is above a 0.16. And, you know, that brings uh, – uh, it's a good time to bring uh, – to point out another sort of, you know, stumbling block in this scenario. Refusal. Okay. I brought up on the screen, I, I, if you can see, the, the statute, the, the Title 75, the Pennsylvania statute, Section 50, 1547, chemical testing to determine the amount of alcohol or controlled substance. Any person who drives, operates, or is in actual physical control of the movement of a vehicle in the Commonwealth shall be deemed to have given consent to one or more chemical tests of breath or blood for the purpose of determining the alcohol content of blood or the presence of a controlled substance if a police officer has reasonable grounds to believe the person to have been driving in actual physical control of the movement of a vehicle at the time. So what that means, if you, typical DUI arrest, a police officer is called to the, to the scene. He starts his investigation. And we're going to get into more more in, in, in detail on how to conduct yourself when you're being investigated for a DUI right after the break. But the important thing I think to leave off with, and, and, it, and it folds into the penalties really nice, is that this statute, which is not the DUI statute, this is a separate statute which basically says that all licensed drivers give consent to police officers to submit to breath or blood testing in scenarios where the police officer has reasonable grounds or essentially probable cause to believe that you've been drinking and driving. So this is a penalty, civil penalties for refusal, except as otherwise provided here. If a person under arrest for violation of Section 3802, now 3802 is the statute for DUI, if that person is requested to submit by a police officer and does not, he, is, he or she is subjecting themselves to a license suspension of at least 12 months, which is in addition to the license suspensions that you can get for being convicted of DUI. And I'm sure at this point now some people's minds must be spinning a little bit about <laughs> how this, this sounds like double dipping, and it kind of is. It is. It is. It, abs it, ab it, it absolutely is, and it's a – it's a way you can understand the public policy behind it, which is we want some way to encourage. They would say the government would say encourage. We want to encourage people. Again, we want to encourage people to participate in their own prosecution, which is what they're asking you to do. They're asking you to testify against yourself. And you would say, well, wait a minute. You can't do that. Right. You can't force me. You can't force me in a criminal context to testify against myself. And that's true. That's why they deem it as a civil penalty. That's why they have a statute that says, because you drive on the roads of Pennsylvania, we you, it is deemed that you are automatically agreeing to to submit to these tests. And when you don't, we're not going to punish you criminally. We are going to punish you civilly. But as Josh pointed out, it becomes a double whammy because if you refuse and then get convicted of the DUI, Let's say you let's say your DUI conviction results in a 12 month suspension. You'll also get at a minimum a second 12 month suspension for the refusal and they will run consecutively. Right. So you will get 24 months of your license being suspended instead of 12. Right. Very, very hard for the average person to understand. 
the DUI statute is a criminal statute, provides criminal penalties that include license suspension. The refusal statute is a civil statute that provides us penalties, including license suspension for a DUI. Very rarely do you have criminal penalties and civil penalties that apply in a criminal case to an individual case. This is one of them. So people need to be aware. And again, it's probably the, the biggest detriment or one of them when you are in this scenario for DUI is the prospect of losing your license for upwards of a year or more. Now, when we're going to take a short break, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about, you've heard about the penalties, you've heard about how awful they are. After this short break, we're going to talk about how to conduct yourself, what to do if you are in that scenario with a policeman or a state trooper. This portion of Justice for All is brought to you by the law offices of Scarpello and Latour. Arrested for DUI in Pennsylvania or the suburbs, anywhere in the suburbs, Philadelphia, call Scarpello and Latour. You've heard about the penalties. You've realized that you are subjecting yourself or potentially are exposing yourself to not only jail time, but loss of driving privileges, fines, mandatory penalties. Don't walk into a courtroom alone when all of that is at stake. Call attorneys at Scarpello and Latour. Every case we take on, every DUI case, we treat with the utmost care. We think about the effect on your life, and we do the best we can to give you the best advice to cut your losses and get you the best possible result. Call Pierre or Josh for a free consultation at 215-732-0460. That's www.phillybestdefense.com. You can visit our website and make a free, no-obligation no um, consultation call with one of our attorneys. And let us help you, guide you through these difficult scenarios involving DUI. Now... Our next segment, Pierre, we talked about the onerous penalties. Very scary. Sounds very scary, right? I, I would be scared, too. It's, it's, yep. never, it's never fun to be alone on a highway and have to deal with a police officer. So let's give our audience some advice. What is, what is some advice? Um, you're in a scenario where you're being pulled over. What advice would you give to your son? Uh, you have teenage sons now. I have a teenage daughter and teenage son. How would you what, what would you say to them? Say, son, here's you get pulled over. Police officer comes and knocks on the window. What do you do next? How do you conduct yourself? Right. Well, I, I think the first thing you want to do is you you always want to be you you want to be polite and you want to cooperate, but you want to cooperate only to a certain extent. I think that's important. If the police have pulled you over. Um, under the law, they have to pull you over for some reason, right? They have to have at least be reasonable suspicion. Reasonable suspicion can be if they observe some violation uh, of a traffic law, right? So if it doesn't have to be anything as severe as, you know, oh, they saw you swerving or they saw you get in an accident. If they, if you didn't come to a full stop at a stop sign, if you failed to signal, if you failed to maintain your lane, any type of observed traffic violation, um, they can pull you over. And they're going to walk up to your car. And like many people have known, when they've gotten a speeding ticket, they're most likely going to get a, 
a knock on the window, you put the window down and the officer is going to say something along the lines of license, registration, proof of insurance, which they're absolutely entitled to ask for during a traffic stop. Now, after that, it gets a little bit complicated because at this point, really, you don't know what they've observed, if anything, right? Maybe you've done something fairly serious, like drive through a red light. Maybe you've done really nothing like, you know, fail to signal or, you know, one of your turn signals is out. But the police are really only allowed to detain you there long enough, right? A brief detention to either issue the ticket or conduct a brief investigation. So the question becomes at that point, what do you do then if the police start asking you questions? What do you do if the police say to you, where are you coming from? Where are you going? Uh-huh. Uh, have you been drinking tonight? Is there anything in the car I need to be concerned about? Right. Well, what, what kind of advice would you give to that? Yeah, there's. In a general sense, you know, um, police interactions with police with people, courts have said, should be only long enough uh, to effectuate whatever interaction there's supposed to be here. Um, In in a car stop where you're being pulled over for some reason, the police officer is allowed to ask certain investigative questions. They're allowed in Pennsylvania to even ask you to step out of the car for officer safety. Um, So they, they do have a certain amount of control over you. What they're not allowed to do is to keep the, you know, the, the, the stop or to keep you there on the side of the road any longer than is necessary to effectuate their investigation. And what Pierre's talking about is that one, one part of every police officer's investigation, policing 101, is ask questions and go up and ask people what they were doing and, and, you know, and, and if they were involved in something that may be criminal. Now that can be tricky in a DUI case where, in the average traffic stop where DUI is not on the table, where you're not drunk driving, police officer is going to ask questions, certainly going to ask for identification, is going to ask for proof of financial responsibility, meaning insurance and registration, and all that is legal. It's also legal to ask you to step out of the car for certain, re- you know, for safety reasons. Custodial interrogation, which is what we're talking about here, is a scenario where the police officer must first advise you of your Miranda warnings. Um, and what is custodial interrogation? It means two things, custody and interrogation. Custody, again, is would the average person in that scenario essentially feel like they were free to leave? And that's sort of this, you know, when you consider all the scenario, all the facts and circumstances surrounding your interaction with the police officer, if this person was questioning you, would you feel like you could say, well, I really, really don't feel like answering that. I'm going to get in my car and leave unless there's something else, officer. And if you don't, then that's a, that's custody. That's how courts have looked on it. If the, if a person wouldn't feel like they were free to leave, they're in custody. Now, when you are in custody, before a police officer can question you, or in other words, interrogate you, they have to say, I'm going to ask you questions, and anything you say can and will be used against you, and it could be used to incriminate you. And that's a key step. That's what separates it from maybe just the, the, the investigatory, the normal investigatory, you know, questions, license and registration, where are you coming from? Now, remember, under that statute that we sent you, that we showed you a few minutes earlier, every licensed driver in Pennsylvania has deemed to consent to this sort of intrusion, right? They've deemed to consent to at least a, a temporary 
investigation and police officers have the right to investigate even without asking questions to determine whether you're drunk. And that investigation could be roll down the window, smelling what's on your breath or coming from your car, asking you to step out of the car and then observing your physical appearance or your clothes disheveled or your eyes bloodshot uh, or your eyes watery. Are you slurring your words or your, is your balance unsteady? Can you not stand up? All those things could lead a police officer to reasonably believe that you're under the influence of, of alcohol. And none of those things have anything to do with interrogation. If the difference there is if the police officer were to start with, how much you have to drink tonight there, sir? And, uh, you know, that the first question out of their mouth. And, you know, were you coming from that, you know, you don't, were you coming from that big keg party that we just, you know, busted up there as a first questioner right out of the uh, out of the gate before anything else happened. That's not necessarily a uh, a proper police practice. And that's something right. that, you know, your response to that question. Oh, yeah, well, I had I had you know seven beers and three shots. That's something that if if, if the police officer asked you that question without having probable cause to believe anything and, and it hadn't first automatically advise you of your Miranda warnings saying that, hey, look, if you say something that's incriminating, I'll use it against you. Well, that's something that could be suppressed or, in other words, kept out. That's a legal question. That's why you need a lawyer sometimes to help you through these scenarios. All right. Well, two, two, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt, but like, but two quick things. Number one, no police officer is going to read you your Miranda warnings for a DUI stop. It doesn't sure. happen. I've, I've been doing this for 20 years. I have never once seen a police officer give anybody their Miranda warnings. They just don't do it. I mean, it's, it's almost kind of like, it's just the way they operate. They're going to pull you over. They're going to ask the normal questions, license, you know, registration, proof of insurance. And then they're going to start asking you things like, where are you coming from? Have you been drinking? Is there anything in the car? Blah, 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 blah. Um, so I, my first point to follow up on that is do not think you are going to talk your way out of it. And people do. Trust me. That's how we get a lot of our clients. They think they're going to talk their way out of it. They think if they say, well, I only had one drink, right? Or I only had two drinks or, yeah, I had a couple of drinks, but that was hours ago and I'm fine. Anything you say like that is helping the police. And here's the other point, too, is that, you know, for the police to request and, and to require you to, to submit to a, a blood test or a breath test, they need something more than usually reasonable suspicion. They need probable cause. Um, and a lot of times when they're asking their, you those questions, they're asking you to supply that probable cause because they may not have it, right? Again, if they've only observed you maybe roll through a stop sign and you're cooperative, and you don't appear to be intoxicated, you're not slurring your words, there's not alcohol in the car, and you have all your paperwork in order, they're asking the, the, you those questions, hoping you say something that will give them probable cause. And trust me, if if you have everything, if you've done everything right, right, you've, you've cooperated, you don't appear to be drunk, all your paperwork's in order, and the cop says, um, you know, hey, have you been drinking? And you say, yeah, well, I, yeah, I just left the Christmas party and I, I had two or three beers, but I'm fine. OK, listen, that statement may get thrown out as evidence because, again, you know, it, since it's illegally obtained in violation of Miranda, that statement will get thrown out. But, you know, what's not going to get thrown out most likely then is the breathalyzer test that then he's going to submit, get you to submit to. So my advice, and this would be to my son, my client, a stranger on the street would be, listen, be polite be cooperative. 
provide the information that's requested of you, which is just strictly license, registration, everything else. If the officer asks you any of those other questions about where you've been or what you've been doing or if you've been drinking or who you've been with, you can politely say, like, I don't have to answer those questions or I prefer not to answer those questions. And you can say to the officer to answer those questions. But throw well, I wouldn't even say I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't say do I because the officer's response is probably be like, yeah. Right. Or the officer may say may give the impression that, like, if you just if you're just honest with me, they'll, they'll do that. Someday. If you're just straight with me, maybe I'll let you drive home. You know, like, oh, officer, I, I had a couple of beers, but I live down the street. I can practically see my house. You know, why don't you just let me go home? Right. No, no, no. Don't. I would just be like, I, I'm not going to answer that question. Right. Or I, I prefer not to answer that question. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to yell at the officer. You can say, hey, listen, I'm not going to answer that question. Um, am I free to go? Always ask, am I free to go? Right. If not, you know, are you going to give me a ticket for whatever you're going to give me a ticket for? But I'm not going to answer that question. And listen, a lot of times it, it might, at least in the short term, make things a little bit more difficult where an officer might get angry. An officer might say, hey, if you don't, you know, this I can take you downtown or I can I can keep you know, like the other thing is they'll say I can keep you here all night or I can do this or I can do that. You do not want to try and talk your way out of the situation. You're only going to make it worse because if the officer and again, unfortunately, a lot of officers will do this if they don't have anything, you know, can they still jam you up? Yes, they can. It doesn't mean it's going to lead to a conviction, though. Right. So, again, think about just think about the end game. Then if an officer pulls you over only because of a traffic violation and nothing else. And he can't put in his report that there was an odor of alcohol. He can't put in the report that he saw any alcohol. He can't put in the report that you admitted to drinking any alcohol. He's got to put down that you had all your paperwork in order. And then if he and then he says, well, and after all that, what did you do, officer? Well, after that, then I, I took him down to the station to give him a breathalyzer or I took him to the hospital to draw his blood. Well, the judge is going to say, like, well, why did you do that? And he's going to say, well, I, I suspected I suspected that he was DUI. Well, what gave you that impression? Because he didn't answer your questions. You have every right not to answer his questions. Again, when those are questions which are intended to elicit incriminating statements against you. Right. So yeah. go ahead. I mean, I, I, it seems almost counterintuitive to say and, and listen, a lot of people, especially people who get arrested for DUI, are people who don't have a lot of dealings with the police. Right. Many times have never been arrested before. Trust the police believe in the police, think the police are good people. And we're not saying that they're not, but they're almost intended. They're kind of almost programmed to cooperate and they, and they want to cooperate and they want to, and they want to show they're being cooperative. But by doing that, you can really, if you're not careful, walk yourself right into a DUI conviction, because again, there's a decent chance that once the cop has pulled you over, you know, he's probably going to arrest you or charge you with something already. Right. Right. Now, one thing to add to that, I want to keep want people to keep in mind is, um, you know, I always think honesty is the best policy in most scenarios. There, what Pierre described is incredibly tough. There's a there's a power differential there when you're on the side of a road and a police officer pulls you over. You know, you're you're it's intimidating. Um, keep in mind that when we talk about answering questions, a lot nowadays, and it's becoming more and more prevalent, more and more. Uh, police officers and uh, police departments are uh, having police officers wear body warrant cameras, usually a camera somewhere on their lapel. Yeah, or, you know. that, that's a really good point. And, and I am and, and Pennsylvania State Police are, are required to have dash cams. Right. 
which have audio and video usually of any stops. And, and I think that truthfully, I think that's great because for years before, you know, the, the, uh, these cameras became available, you know, the toughest thing to defend would be your word versus a police officer and nobody else standing out on the side of the road. You know, who are you going to believe? Who's the judge going to believe, right? Here, you get a very honest um, and candid look at the car stop. And oftentimes it includes very clear audio, meaning you can hear the questions that are asked, you can hear the responses, and you can certainly see what happens when people get out of the car. And uh, they, they videotape a lot of this stuff now, including the sobriety checks that they do. And we should talk a little bit about what a sobriety check is. But keep in mind that when, you, when you're pulled over by a police officer, you're most likely being recorded by something, either his car, by the ca camera in the front of his car, or many, many times now um, you know, by the officer himself. And that's a good thing because, again, if there's a question about, well, what did he say first? Did he ask me this or what did you say? Oh, he volunteered that, that he had, uh, you know, drank five beers that night. There's no clearer thing than going to the videotape. And oftentimes that may resolve things in your favor, or sometimes that may back up what the police officer may say. Um, I don't see that as a bad thing. I see that as a good thing. Yeah, I, th I think the body cam footage is, is there to protect good cops. Right. right? And I think it's made. Good cops have nothing to fear. And I know, and you've won a couple of them. I remember you had, you've, I know that my partner, Josh, has won a number of DUI cases. But for, right, there's a couple I know off the top of my head that if you didn't have that body cam footage, you were probably losing that case. Absolutely. Right? If it, Absolutely. If the body cam literally saved you because it showed that what the police were doing was illegal, right? Correct. And I'm not talking about planting evidence illegal, but continuing to detain people and then writing stuff in their written reports, which did not match at all what was in the body cam footage that eventually got turned over to us. Right. And this is all part of way of sort of explaining how the police officers investigate you and what evidence is important in the DUI case as well. Um, you know, obviously they want, like uh, when I say something is policing 101, it is, I mean, asking questions and listening responses that happens in every case. What else do they have? They, if, if they don't have a confession or an admission, a police officer out there is looking for physical signs. Like we talked about, um, to then give him reasonable suspicion to think that maybe he wants to take you down to the station and take your blood or take your breath. If you don't say anything, the next thing that could happen, say you roll down your window and he asks you to get out of the car, the next thing that could happen if he feels that, let's say he smells blood, he smells alcohol in the car or on your person, could be what, what are called sobriety tests. We should talk a little bit about that and what they involve here. You know, yeah, they, also they, also fixed. Also, this, yeah, they, these, I mean, these are, are also these are also like carnival games, right? And if you, I, I, if you've I, ever I, seen these, and these are recorded yeah. oftentimes too. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, a sober priest on Sunday or anybody else thinking no, was they're, 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 And again, they, here's the other thing too: is that not only are these tests entirely subjective mm -hmm. and and set up for you to fail, right? It's again, it's no different than going to the pier at the shore. Right where they you try and throw the basketball into the hoop and you find out later like because the the hoop's too small the ball can't go in the hoop right, 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 right. Um, you know this is this is the police saying okay I, I've seen this um, starting at the letter M recite the alphabet backwards right 
I've seen that. And, too. and, and, and people, and the, you know, and, and the and the other one is too is like the one they the one they love. One of the ones they love is the is the heel to toe. So what they'll do is they'll say, you know, they'll walk the straight line, and they'll and they'll. But here's the here's the trick they use, right? So the officer will will find a line somewhere on the side of the road and say, I want you, you know, with your hands straight out. I want you to walk heel to toe, uh, walk ten paces straight spin around and walk 10 paces back to me, right? And you'll see people do it all the time and complete the test successfully. Mm -hmm. And what the officer will write down is you failed the test because you failed to follow instruction, right? So if they say, I told him to walk 10 paces, he walked eight, right? I told him to spin around on one foot. He he didn't spin around at all. He turned, right? What they'll do all the time on these field sobriety tests, again, which are wholly subjective, right? There is no, you know, police officers do not go to police officer school and then take an entire course on how to conduct field sobriety tests, right? It's it's a joke. It's a series of tests that have just been like passed down and they are the sole determiner. They're at the side of the road, just you and them. You could do the test and they're going to say or they can write down, you know what? Either I think you failed the test or more likely than not, they'll write, you didn't follow the instructions. Right. And if you did, and, and all of this gives them, the, and they're going to argue in a, in a court of law, they're going to argue the fact that you failed these field sobriety tests or you failed to follow their instructions gives them probable cause. Then again, to the holy grail, which is what they're always trying to do, right? The holy grail in a DUI for the prosecution is get that BAC, right? And get that girl, get that blood draw, because that scientific evidence, right, if it comes in as evidence, is almost guaranteeing a conviction, right? The minute a judge or a jury hears, oh, but ladies and gentlemen, his blood alcohol was a point one three, right? Or it was a point one four or there it came back and in his blood there was cocaine or there was marijuana or there was Xanax, anything like that. A scientific report like that, the jury or the judge is going to hear that. And right there, their mind's made up. Right. So you're really and I think this is true a lot of the time, I think in probably 90 percent of the cases that we handle as DUIs is that, you know, your lawyer's job, our job is is to keep that evidence out. And the way you keep it out is by filing a motion to suppress And at the motion to suppress. What you're arguing essentially is that what the police did is. They either they did not have reasonable suspicion, nor did they have probable cause. And if a court agrees with us, then that evidence can't be used against you. It's thrown out. And then many times in a DUI case, but not all the time, but many times once that's thrown out, they don't have a lot of evidence to prosecute you with. Right. So let's recap. It sounds like in the scenario of the average person talking to your son, what would you do when you're pulled over and unsuspected of DUI? Say as little as possible, but be polite and courteous. Don't volunteer that you were drinking or at a party or at a rave or doing anything. Especially um, a rave. Rave, rave, rave is a rave is a red flag. Right, <laughs> if, officer. I was just at a rave. I don't know why you pulled me over. <laughs> uh, if you're asked to step out of the car, know that that's a legal request, even though it may seem a little unreasonable to you. And if you're asked to, to uh, perform sobriety tests, you may ha- you will have to do them. Um, that is not the same as a refusal of, of blood or alcohol. But if, if say you you know if, if they get you in the, in a scenario where they want to perform one of these sobriety tests, I've had people 
say before that they, they couldn't do it for one reason or another. It was raining. It was slippery. They have bad balance. It will just simply go down that they, you know, that they, in their report that they asked you and that you said for whatever reason you wouldn't do it. You refused to. And they're going to try to make it sound as incriminating as possible. And certainly if you participate in those tests, which, again, is not mandatory, but they can certainly ask you and you fail those tests, it's going to go in the report almost every time that you failed. And, of course, who is the judge of that, whether you you passed or failed? It's the police officer, right? Um, so you may have to go through that those processes, touch your nose, walk, count backwards, the, the alphabet, and you should participate and, and you should know that you might have to participate in those things, but you – when you get back to the station, they're going to ask you a very important question because all of this investigation on the curbside out by the road is a precursor, is the prerequisite to asking you to submit to blood or breath. The police, when they, you can challenge the admission of your blood or breath test. You could be over the legal limit. You could have marijuana in your system and your lawyer could file a motion and say they didn't do what they're supposed to do. They violated my rights for one reason or another. One of the reasons you could challenge is they could say, well, we didn't have probable cause. They didn't have probable cause to ask me for that. And then they would walk through the, the car stop from beginning to end. Why did you pull him over, police officer? What was the reason? What was wrong with his car? What was he doing? Was he swerving? Was he speeding? And then once you stopped him, what happened when you got to the, to the driver's side window? And they will walk through because that's how the law looks at constitutional issues like whether the police officers had a reason to stop you and to investigate you. And if they didn't, then the fruits of that illegal stop and search, in this case, a blood test or a breath test, could later be thrown out by a, a court, which is, you know, you're saving grace. But when they now let's let's yeah, sorry, let, let's say let's say now you do everything right. Let's say that the police pull you over. Uh, you get you have all your paperwork in order. Uh, they ask you a couple of questions and you say, I'm sorry, officer, I'm not going to answer those questions. And they say, okay, uh, well, I need you to follow me. We're going to go to the station, right? And they bring you down to the station and you're sitting there and you're nervous and you don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, the officer comes out and he sits down with you and he's got this piece of paper in his hand and he goes, okay, sir, I'm going to read you the O'Connell warnings, right? So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about refusals license suspensions and how to deal with restoration of your license suspension and what to do about refusals and their penalties. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, if you are in this scenario, you or a loved one pulled over and arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs in Philadelphia or anywhere in Pennsylvania, and you need a good attorney, call us here at Scarpello and Latour. As you can hear, as you can tell from our discussion here, we're experienced We've done thousands of these types of cases. Um, we will give you the best representation and, more importantly, the best advice for your scenario. If you need a good attorney for a DUI case, call Scarpello and Latour for a free consultation, 215-732-0460, or visit our website at www.phillybestdefense.com. Okay, so now um, again, you're we're, you're sitting there in the police station. Um, you haven't admitted to anything. 
let's say you haven't even done any field sobriety tests, but the officer's taking you back there. And he walks out and he goes, okay, I've got to, I've got to read you these warnings, sir. Okay. And he proceeds to read to you from a sheet. They, they, they give all the police officers a prepared sheet so it's standardized language. These are called the O'Connell warnings from, the, from a case that, from Pennsylvania in which they now warn you, okay, I am asking you to submit to either a um, breathalyzer or a blood draw, right? Mm-hmm. I am asking you to do this. And if you refuse, the following penalties apply, right? And what are those penalties? Uh, they are the penalties for the refusal um, for a first-time offense. Again, you could lose your license for up to 12 months, and this is uh, separate and apart from this, the license suspension that you could get under the criminal statute. This is a civil penalty that it that comes from uh, PennDOT, and it comes as a result of refusing to cooperate with the police officer in this way and give a sample of your breath or blood. The only way around that, well, there's a couple ways around it, but if you refuse and that evidence doesn't come in, the law says that the the government can then admit at your trial that discussion. They can say and and argue. Yeah, that's a good good point. The The refusal will be used as evidence against you. Right. Um. In addition to the refusal also triggers a number of other penalties in terms of if you are convicted of the DUI in terms of whether or not you can get an occupational license. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think they've now greatly increased the fines and costs for restoring your license, because I do know now, I think routinely, I think people are told when they're given the O'Connell warnings now that if you refuse your license will be suspended for a minimum of 12 months. And the cost of restoring your license will now run into the thousands of dollars. I know that's what they tell people. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but that's what they tell people. Um, and that's something that's really changed because I would say five or 10 years ago, I think any client I would probably advise 10 years ago, I would have said, unless you know 100% that you are stone cold sober, that you have not drank a single drop that day, that you have not used any drugs in weeks, you should refuse the test, right? Because, you know, the evidence of the refusal at a tri- at a criminal trial is never as convincing, obviously, as the result of a blood or breath test. But back in the day, the civil penalties for a refusal were nothing like they are now, Right. right? And I think now, and it's unfair and it's coercive, but again, until it's declared unconstitutional, it is the law still. Um, the penalties are now so severe for most people, right? And so I think most people would look at this and say, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, like, so I'm still going to get charged with a DUI, yes. Uh-huh. But now if I refuse, I'm possibly not only doubling the length of my suspension, but I may be ineligible to get an occupational license. I don't know if you, you want to talk briefly about what an yeah, occupational license is. I, I will, and I'll talk about that too. See, let, let, I just want to drive home this point. You could win the DUI case <laughs> right, and still lose your license <laughs> for failing to, to give a breath or blood sample because they are two separate hearings. And that's what I really want to stress with people. This 12-month license suspension, for, for it's almost it, – it, it just doesn't seem fair – 
because it's explained to people that oftentimes are intoxicated. It is, it happens the minute you say, I won't do it. And the only, there's, there's next to no, well, there's a chance to turn it around. You would get an administrative hearing in front of the court of common pleas where yeah, you, you, have, you, have thir- you have 30 days from the date of the refusal for the you have 30 days from the notice. You'll get a notice from PennDOT. If you refuse, you'll get a notice from PennDOT saying based upon your refusal, uh, you are, your license will be suspended starting in at the date, you know, 30 days from the date of the letter on the letter you get. And as Josh says, you can file an appeal of that. And again, it's in civil court in Philadelphia. You're not even in the courthouse. You have to go over to city hall and you go to a courtroom where there's an attorney from PennDOT. And that's who you end up battling with the PennDOT people. Cause again, it is a civil penalty and not a criminal. one. Right. And if, and so you could end up winning the case, but still losing your license and if you violate the statute for refusing, it is a mandatory one-year license suspension. And when you get a license suspension more than a few months, it's worthwhile talking about the uh, what you can do to try to help with a license suspension. You basically have two options once you have a license suspension for PennDOT. You can either apply for what's called an occupational license, which is a petition to PennDOT to basically let you drive back and forth to work and only to work. And that that requires filling out an application, paying an application fee, submitting your work schedule, um, obviously notifying your, your boss. Yeah, you need, you, yeah, that's that's the big kicker, I think, is that a lot of times you have to explain to clients like your boss has to sign off on this. Right. right. And that that usually stops it in its tracks when you have to say, I need to go to my boss and say, hey, I need you to sign off on this. Why? Well, because I got a DUI and I lost my license. But when you have an occupational license, one of the things that it is that one of the one of the disqualifying convictions for an occupational license is refusing to submit to chemical testing under Title 75, Section 1547. So that option, which would, so we say you got a 12 month license suspension just for the DUI conviction. You could apply for an occupational license, what they call a work license in that scenario. But if you were convicted and in that conviction, you refuse to submit to chemical testing in a, in that scenario, the law says you can't have an occupational license. So that basically limits your options after that to what they call ignition interlock license all right so ignition interlock what is ignition interlock it's kind of like what it sounds they put a a lock on your ignition you've probably heard about this through folklore or movies or whatever the case may be where before the car will start the driver has to blow into the the you know the the tube and if there's any uh, uh, alcohol in that person's breath the car will not start and and it will be inoperable and that is something that is oftentimes ordered by the court to be put on for some DUI offenders. It costs money to be put in. It's on the responsibility of the person that's the, that's violated this, this provision to pay for the ignition interlock system to be installed and then also removed. There's a maintenance fee that, uh, that's, that applies. This is, this could easily add up into the thousand. Often time does add up. Yeah, I, I, th- I think just installing it is over a thousand dollars, isn't right. it? 
But even with the ignition interlock scenario, um, because of the refusal, in the event of a refusal, you still would have to serve six months. And this just happened to a young lady that I represented. First time DUI, fender bender car accident. Nice lady. Um, was eligible for ARD and got the ARD penalties from the county. But when it came during her investigation, when the police officer asked her, and I saw her, the body camera of this in, interaction, and it, it, it seems unfair because the, in cases when you are intoxicated, as this person was, to ask them to make an intelligent and informed decision and to understand all these potential consequences is absurd. You're not going to know in that scenario that if you say no to this question, I'm going to lose my license with virtually no chance of getting it back or an appeal for 12 months. If people really knew that, there would be a lot more people that would participate. And not only that, under the law in Pennsylvania, one of the other things I think that is unfair about this, you know, this confrontation where police officers ask you to give them um, breath or blood samples is if you ask to speak to an attorney. If you ask to speak to an attorney about that important decision, that will, if you answer the wrong way, you'll lose your license for 12 months. That yeah, that's is considered I mean, that's a review. Really, that's, real, that's really insane that the fact. That's considered that a review. That's, that's in the refusal paperwork right. is if you ask to speak to an attorney, we consider that a refusal. Right. Like full stop, like end of story. And the penalties flow from that. So. I tell people now, Pierre tells people now, this is one of the ways that the, that the law has changed. If you are asked in a DUI scenario, even if you think it's wrong, to submit to, to, breath, to breath, a breath test or to blood, to give blood, and, and they give you that choice because um, it's, it's up to the, actually, it's not your choice, it's up to the police officer. The police officer can determine to draw blood if they think, that there's something in your in your system that wouldn't be detected by a breathalyzer, meaning some sort of drugs. But if you're in that scenario where they ask you to do that and submit to that, even though it's invasive, even though it doesn't seem right to you, the answer that I would have to tell you right now is that you should go ahead and do it. Because regardless of the outcome of that test, even if you are the drunkest person on the planet that night, you are saving yourself at least 12 months of a license suspension for, that comes from refusing to submit to that type of test. And that's the type of thing that the average person has no idea. And it's almost sad when it happens um, because the other thing about these suspensions is that they are stacked. Uh, your your suspension that you get from a refusal is stacked with the any suspension that you would get from either ARD or simply a conviction. So in a worst-case scenario, somebody never convicted before, never convicted before, but refuses the breath test, goes is not does not get out ARD, the first-time offender program for some reason, either because they have a prior conviction or whatever the case may be. They could get 12 months from the DUI conviction, license suspension, and another 12 months for refusing to submit to a breath test under the refusal penalty. And that is a that to me. Again, the policies behind drunk driving, I completely understand. But that is an onerous and a really, really hard, pe harsh penalty 
for regular people like you and I, and certainly nobody's people, you know, so one of the things we're hoping is to spread a little bit of this knowledge that if you are in a, in a tough scenario like this, that's the smart choice. Even if it doesn't feel completely right to you at that, at that point in time, you are definitely saving yourself at least a one year of a license suspension. And then when you get to court, things could get better. And I think now's a good time since we've been talking for about 45 minutes about all the bad things. Let's talk to them, Pierre, about what are the choices when you get into the courtroom for a, for both a first time offense and, you know, subsequent offenses. The good news is that first time offense offenders, people that have never been convicted of a crime, may be and oftentimes are eligible for the first-time offender program, the initials ARD, Accelerated Rehabilitative Disposition, another Pennsylvania statute that enables district attorneys, the county, the the district attorney from each county to select people for this first-time offender program for nonviolent offenses, of which a DUI is, and if they successfully complete the conditions of this program, which always include six months or more of probation. Again, the completion of the highway, uh, uh, the alcohol highway safety school class that you have to take, that everybody has to take, submitting to a drug and alcohol evaluation and complying with any of the recommendations, paying court costs, which in most counties are going to cost you a couple thousand dollars and otherwise staying out of trouble for your probation period. If you can do all those things under this first-time offender program and you're charged with DUI, the good news is that the that the government at the end of that probation period will dismiss the case and you will you will be eligible to have that that charge expunged. So there's no final conviction and expungement means that they actually take the record of your arrest, the paper record and whatever records that are out there are destroyed. Uh, the only record that would exist after an expungement for a DUI is kept internally by the district attorney who handled the case for the purpose of calculating future penalties. We didn't mention this at the outset, Pierre, about the tiers of penalties. The other bad news. Right. I mean, yeah, because now now when you we talked about first offense. Right. When you start talking about second offense is where the penalties escalate and the law has changed recently. So for a second offense now, depending on what tier you fall into, whether it's that low tier, middle tier, high tier, you're now talking about, you know, possibly 30 days incarceration on a second Mm -hmm. offense and maybe as as much as 90 days incarceration for the highest tier. In addition to that, if you get a third offense, this is where they've also increased the penalty. So in the, the penalty can still be severe. So if you get a third DUI uh-huh. and, the, and the time period we're talking about is 10 years, they have what's called a 10 year look back period. So if you if you get a third DUI conviction within 10 years and you're at the highest level, right, which is above a point one six or or refusal, or drugs, Mm -hmm. you are now looking at a mandatory one-year jail sentence. In addition to that, they've also increased the grading of the charges now under certain circumstances. So in Pennsylvania, now under certain circumstances, if you have two prior offenses for DUI and your third one, uh, and you're in the highest tier, 
uh, or uh, if you have a refusal sometimes, they now raise the grading because DUIs were all the highest a DUI could ever be was a misdemeanor of the first degree. And, and what that really means is that the maximum punish, punish uh, the maximum amount of incarceration or jail time you could get on a misdemeanor of the first degree is five years or in Pennsylvania, since they have mandatories and minimums, two and a half to five years. That is the absolute maximum. And most times you wouldn't get it. You would have an M1. You would get the minimum. You would go to state prison for one year. Very serious. What they've done now, they this law just passed in Pennsylvania um, it has a name now that escapes me, but it was uh, there for chronic drunk drivers, essentially, uh, but not always chronic. But if you now have a third DUI in which you also meet other circumstances, such as if you have another if you have an accident with the revolves involves serious bodily injury, if you have a refusal and it's your third one, all of a sudden um, the the grading becomes a felony of the third degree and it can go as high as a felony of the second degree. If this is your fourth DUI. Well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't affect the mandatory, right? The mandatory, the mandatory minimum is still the mandatory minimum, right? So under any of these scenarios, you're still going to get a minimum sentence of one year in prison Right. by becoming a felony of the third degree though, the maximum is increased, right? So now the maximum penalty you can get, under a felony, the third degree in Pennsylvania is seven years or a sentence of three and a half to seven. Yeah. Under a felony of, of the second degree in Pennsylvania, the maximum penalty is 10 years or a sentence of five to 10 years. So what this gives the, the government or the district attorney's office is the power now or the ability to seek far more serious sentences for people who have multiple DUIs at the highest level. So again, you I'm not saying you would get that, but you are in danger now where, you know, whereas before, if this was your fourth DUI and your blood alcohol level was 0.20, right? A district attorney would be constrained by the law to give you to ask for and to get no more than two and a half to five. That would be the maximum, right? That's not true anymore. Now a DA could walk into a room, into a courtroom. If it's your fourth DUI in 10 years and you're at the max level he could ask that judge to say, judge, I want the maximum sentence under the law. I want you to sentence the defendant to five to 10 years and a judge can do it. And it's perfectly legal. That's the change, right? Three and a half to seven for the F3 or five to 10 for the F2. So there's the look back period. That's also in the statute that we talked about for increasing the penalties. The look back period is 10 years, which means 10 years from your last you know, or look forward period, however you look for it. You, Ten years from your last DUI, they look they look back to see you know if you have any prior DUI. So if you're arrested now, they look back ten years to see if you have any prior DUIs within the past ten years. If you do, you are treated not as a first time DUI person. You're treated as a second or third or whatever the case may be. Acceptance of a first time offender program, the ARD program that we just discussed. Even though that doesn't result in a conviction, it's also important to know that counts under the statute as a prior conviction for the recidivism part, for the 10-year look back, meaning you get a first-time DUI, everything goes well, you go through, the case is dismissed, it's expunged. One year later, you pick up another DUI. You go say, well, great, I don't have any prior record, it was expunged. Well, that's not true. For the purposes of this statute, the DUI offense that resulted in an ARD in that 
you know, diversion program, as they called in the court system, that counts as a prior conviction, even though it's not technically a conviction. So when the prosecutor's office looks back and says, well, geez, a year ago, you, you got a, you got ARD for DUI. What are you talking about? That's a prior conviction. They won't treat you. First of all, they won't give you a first time offender program more than once. Uh, if I haven't, you know, that's not self evident. And they will treat you as a second time or a third time, depending on where you are. So you're, there are options. There, um, certainly the ARD program is a great, is a great program. It's where we steer all of our clients or we at least investigate it for all of our clients because it's, it's sort of the, the deal that you make. You know, it's, I, I often wonder if they didn't create ARD simply to, for, in response to this onerous DUI statute, which I, like we've already pointed out, I think is, you know, a little bit unfair in some scenarios. Well, ARD wipes away and escapes, it enables you to, to get by with a license suspension of no more than three months and anywhere from one to three months, according to where, you, you know, how drunk you were. And then no final conviction, which is, which is huge. And also the opportunity to have your case expunged. You yeah, can't you, like, like it, like it never happened. Like it know, never happened. The way we explain it, I think a lot of times is that the, at the end of the day, after everything is over and your record is expunged, it's like it never happened. Right. It's right. not on your record. Not even, not even the evidence, not even a, a record of your arrest shows up. It's like it never happened. There isn't, there isn't a better deal in the criminal, <laughs> in the criminal law in Pennsylvania than ARD, which is not exclusive to DUI. Right. We should say that other too. Crimes too. Tell, tell yeah. your attorneys to ask for ARD whenever they can, uh, whenever possible. <laughs> but it goes to show how many DUI cases there are in Pennsylvania that so many people are familiar with the ARD program as being connected to DUI. And in fact, many counties have ARD programs that are fashioned specifically for those offenders and, and, and whole units that just deal with, you know, ARD and DUI cases. So we've talked a lot in the past hour. Hopefully we've shared a lot of uh, information for people, not just lawyers, but we try to make these programs so that the average person can walk away feeling like they know more about the, the topic that we're discussing than before. DUI, that, now, that being said, if you're arrested and charged with a DUI, you don't want to just rely on listening to the Justice for All podcast. You could. You could, and you would learn a lot. But you're going to need to be represented as well. You're going to need somebody standing by your side and looking out for you and thinking about all these different issues that we talked about. Um, there are ways to minimize the damage, to cut your losses. There are even ways to win cases in, in scenarios. But DUI, as we said at the outset, is a very simple charge. They have to prove driving and drunk. And it can be very difficult to get around those scenarios unless you can prove that something went wrong with the way that the police officer stopped you and that he did that for some other reason and that it was illegal from the get-go. You might get lucky that way. So you certainly could benefit from a free consultation with Pierre or myself. And we, occur, we encourage you once again that if you were a loved one, is arrested anywhere in Philadelphia or any of the counties. We go to any of the surrounding counties in Philadelphia, and in fact, just about anywhere across the state, if if needed. 
call us here at Scarpello and Latour, 215-732-0460, and ask us about, tell us about your problem, about your issue, and we'll have a conversation very similar to the conversation that we had this evening. We hope that you've enjoyed and gotten something from this program. And again, if you need to, if you want to learn more about Scarpello and Latour, visit us on our website, www.phillybestdefense.com. And if you are in need of an attorney for any kind of criminal defense matter, personal injury matter, any matter that involves a Philadelphia case or some case in the surrounding suburbs, call Scarpello and Latour. We can help. And if we can't, in most cases, we can find you somebody that can. Pierre, we've, uh, I think we've covered just about all of our bases, wouldn't you say, in, in terms of this topic? Yeah, it's a very, very uplifting holiday-like podcast. <laughs> well, at <laughs> the very least, it was informative. And yes, it was, it was very informative. So we appreciate I, I hope I hope people got something from it. I hope everybody has a wonderful holiday. Uh, all our best here from Scarpello and Latour to you and yours and your family. Stay safe. Don't drink and drive. And if you do, listen to what we said. Thanks so, for, so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Justice for All.